Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Uncultured Cinematic Universe. Each episode, we take a look at classic and iconic films from two perspectives, that of the diehard fan and that of the uncultured who's never seen it before until right now. We're your hosts, Justin and uh, Joe. That's your name, right? You're Joe. Oh, stop. It's it's doing it again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Is this better? I don't know why it's happening. Is this better? It's better now. What happened? Well, that's, I don't know. Where did it start getting? You know what? We're just going to keep going because who cares? We're your hosts, Justin and Joe. That's your name, right? <laughs> anyway, today we're going to be talking about the 2010 techie drama all about the founding of Facebook, the social network. As a reminder, you can watch us on YouTube or listen to us wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. So just search for the Uncultured uh, Un- uh, motherfucker uncultured cinematic universe we're keeping gonna, this all in it's staying in man just search for the uncultured cinematic universe that's all you got to do and then you can also check us out on instagram at ucu podcast uh so yeah joe without further ado let's get wired in and screw our best friends out of so much money and clout <laughs> and discuss the social network <laughs> This is this is good. I usually feel nervous kind of like going into these episodes, but having you mess up your audio like multiple times uh, trying to start this podcast. It's not uh, even me. I'm not even it doing anything. The ice. I'm not right. even doing anything. It, it, it might just be the Wi-Fi. We're, it could we're be fine. the Wi-Fi. Um, Justin, this movie was great. You're on kind of like a, a, a streak of giving me great movies to watch, and I don't know if I'm like meeting you halfway there. How are you liking the movies I'm watching versus the movies that you're giving me to watch? So this is the whole like crux of why we do this podcast, right? It's essentially we're filling in gaps, mm-hmm. glaring gaps in our you know watch history. Mm-hmm. Um, the movies you're giving me are ones that I had always heard of or never really thought to want to watch but i end up always having such a good time yeah yeah this particular one uh so we're talking about social network um this was obviously such a huge movie in uh 2010 is when it came out yep um and for some reason it got tied in my head to like oh it it ended up like feeling a little overrated which is why i never watched it i think just because it got so much praise right at the right at the beginning sure um, uh, and I wasn't even in college yet. I was kind of like just finishing up high school. So maybe I didn't even have the means at that point. Um, but then it got, it, it, it felt kind of like film bro-y to watch it. And I'm, I'm so sorry that I missed out on it because I watched it this past week and it's so fucking good. So it's funny you mentioned the film broiness of it. Mm-hmm. So the director, David Fincher, who is a director that I love, he's one of like my top tier directors who I'll typically see whatever they put out. Mm-hmm. He sits alongside like Christopher Nolan and Darren Aronofsky, mm-hmm. um, uh, as well as uh, Denny Villeneuve. Denny yeah. Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, that guy. Those are the those are the directors that I'll see whatever they put out because they have such a unique aesthetic, very visually distinctive styles. Absolutely, that gives them you know the the auteur kind of uh, cachet. I think so. Um, yeah, so uh, speaking of film broiness, uh, another film that David Fincher did back in the day was Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Peak That's film broy, ultimate film broy, ultimate film broy to a T, right? Yeah. So I can get how this would feel and seem, you know, film broy to it to an extent, but 
I love this movie so much just because of the visual aesthetic that we kind of talked up. And then specifically the soundtrack, the score Mm -hmm. um, done by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross just brings such a unique, you know, uh, perspective to this movie. Yeah. So talking about uh, David Fincher, like it's interesting how like you're, you're talking through like, Fight Club. I know he also did like Seven. He did um, The Game and Panic Room. Um, I actually came to David Fincher's movies after Social Network, so I'm much more familiar with like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo or Gone Girl. Yeah. Um, Gone Girl in particular has uh, that that kind of like gray, kind of grimy uh, Fincher aesthetic, uh, while also being almost metallic in certain places. But it also has like that. Um, there's a there's a level of like dark comedy that mm-hmm. I think uh, his best work has, and you definitely see it in Gone Girl, and you definitely see it in The Social Network. There, there were a couple moments that I I hope I get the chance to point out where I burst out laughing. Oh yeah, movie. yeah. His, his movies are definitely undercut with that dark comedy, that dark humor mm-hmm. to kind of balance out a lot of the dourness that kind of permeates a lot of these movies. Yeah. So I'm gonna back up a second. And kind of talk about the overall theme, like why we chose this movie. Talk about talk about this month's theme. So we are in April. April showers bring May flowers. But in April, we decided to do something a little <laughs> off the cuff. So typically in March, right? Mid-March, mid to late March, Joe, is when the Oscars take place. Mm-hmm. So we already had Musical March slated, and we didn't want to bump it. Um, to May because we have Muppet Mayhem coming up. So we wanted to talk about Oscar movies, um, uh, movies that won either like swept the Oscars or got just ton of nominations and wins under their belts. And um, Joe is a Oscar, Oscar film baby. He, he loves the Oscars. It's a whole experience. Yes. Um, I actually, I first got into watching the Oscars, paying attention to the Oscars around the time this uh, movie released. So I think like in the year before, maybe a couple years before, I'll have to check, was the the big Heath Ledger Dark Knight uh, Oscar sweep. Yeah. Um, and for some reason, like that fascinated me, like how he was kind of just like the, the list of awards that Heath Ledger kept on winning uh, on his Wikipedia page just kept on growing and growing. And the idea of some performance just having that power having uh being able to resonate uh, across the board in such a way was kind of fascinating and it kind of like uh led into the idea of film being this more like universal thing that people can relate to yeah and so I've, I've i've kind of been following the oscars ever since then and this this movie made a pretty big splash from what i understand tell me tell me about yeah. the oscar impact of this one yeah uh so it was at the 83rd Academy Awards, eight nominations this movie had, eight, Big. including Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Director. Mm-hmm. But they took home uh, Best Adapted Screenplay, mm-hmm. Best Original Score, and Best Film Editing. Mm-hmm. So they took home three, but then also at the Golden Globes of the same year, they won Best Picture, uh, Drama, Best director, best screenplay, and best original score. So, like that whole award season was all a buzz about this movie. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's a lot of like precursor award ceremonies that lead up to the Oscars, and the Oscars typically cap off the award season every year. And so, if you see a lot of wins happening at the Golden Globes, you see a lot of wins happening at the Screen Actors Guild Awards, the BAFTAs, Critics' yeah. Voice, all of that. You can kind of catch the momentum of something going into the Oscars. And I think, um, I think it was the King's speech that eventually won best picture this year but people i don't know if they were necessarily sure of that going into the oscars i think this one had a lot of momentum behind it yeah it really did and it and it shows like you know like i said fincher takes a lot of care with his film uh with his films and um he's known for being like a meticulous director you know Mm -hmm. he's one of those that takes that you know asks a lot of the actors um multiple 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 takes yeah um but it pays off because everything feels so fluid and um, well thought out. And I think a lot of that comes from his history of doing music videos. Mm-hmm. Um, he came from a music video background, notably. And I've got, I've got the list, Joe. This is amazing. <laughs> so he did Madonna's Express Yourself. Oh, my God. Aerosmith's Janie's Got a Gun. <laughs> George Michael's Freedom. Madonna's Vogue. And then one that I fucking love, uh, A Perfect Circle's Judith. Um, all of the, if you look at all of those music videos, you can tell that they were, obviously there, there's like tens, 15 years of um, difference between those, but they all kind of share unique kind mm-hmm. of um, features. A lot of quick cuts. Uh, another main thing that is, you know, uh, heavily attributed to David Fincher, his style is the camera movement that he evokes. It's a lot of very slow, deliberate pans Mm -hmm. and very human kind of like following um, the actors moving from side to side. He does a lot of like establishing shots. He does a lot of crowd shots. Um, It's, I was really, I mean, like there's, there's probably like actual film terminology we should be using here, but I was really feeling the vibe of this movie when in all the scenes where like Mark is kind of, uh, this this movie is obviously about you know the founding of Facebook by Mark Zuckerberg and uh, a few other people. Um, the scenes where Mark is like running uh, around uh, the campus at Harvard, kind of mm-hmm. unnoticed uh, by everyone else, he's kind of got like this like schleppy hoodie on. Right, uh, he's running awkwardly and like contrasting between that where he's just like running through these crowds and no one's really paying attention to him, and then intercutting between that and like four or five years later when he's like the world's youngest billionaire getting sued in these uh, big boardrooms and he's kind of the center of it all. It, it, it really, I think the, the Oscars that this movie won really do sum up uh, the highlights of this movie. I Absolutely. think the, the editing uh, in this movie is fantastic because you're constantly having to switch between uh eight or nine different characters viewpoints of this uh, timeline. Yeah. Um, and you're constantly uh, having to figure out like whose side of this conflict you're on. Yeah. Um, and the editing is what tells that story. And then I think the going into this, the, the score is one of the few things I actually did know about this movie just cause I, I listen to scores all the time. And this uh, there's a, there's a piece in this, um, his score called hand covers bruise, I think, Mm -hmm. which is like, you know, the, the, the slower one, it's the first Um, track. It's the opening track. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, it's fantastic. And then we, we have to talk about the opening scene of this movie because it's insane. 
that was one of the other pieces that I did know going into this uh, uh, this movie. I, there were there were I think four things uh, I knew uh, going into the social network. So I knew about the opening scene. Mm-hmm. I knew about the scene where he's like, "You have you have one iota of my attention. You have the smallest bit of my attention. Everything else is at Facebook." Mm-hmm. I obviously knew uh, "Lawyer Up, Asshole," and then I knew the score. Yeah, um, I mean that that's that's pretty much sums up the whole story, right? Yeah. But that's awesome. Uh, that's really cool. So, like, a, a lot of the the rest of the storytelling pieces and all that kind of stuff obviously came as a surprise, right? Um, so, Aaron Sorkin is the the who wrote this. Aaron Sorkin, you know, he did A Few Good Men, Moneyball. After this, he did Steve Jobs, which mm-hmm. feels largely the same, right? It's yep. about Steve Jobs finding uh, Apple and kind of the same kind of different planes of action in different spaces and time. Yeah, this, um, these movies we're talking about is kind of a trend of people disrupting industries with crazy ideas. Yeah, so they saw what he did with this film and said, hey, could you write, essentially do the same thing for Steve Jobs. Um, but he was more famously known, Aaron Sorkin was, for writing, executive producing, and being the creator of The West Wing, Joe. We mm-hmm. talked about this last time, The West Wing. Yeah, yeah. So that was actually, that's that's my main bullet point as like my in for this movie is... Um, in January, 2022, uh, I started watching the West wing with my household. Uh, it was, uh, me, uh, my partner, and then my sister was living with us at the time. And then for the next eight or nine months, we watched like a few episodes every week. Uh, and it was just constant West wing, uh, in our household, which means yeah. Constant Sorkin, at least for like the first four seasons, and then maybe a little bit less Sorkin after that. Yeah. Um, and so that vibe, the 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 Sorkin high energy quippiness, is something that I really missed, and I could like clearly see that in this movie, especially in like the the deposition scenes. I don't know if it's like a, a deposition, the the lawyer scenes where mm-hmm. they're they're in the different boardrooms, and uh, Mark's being a little shit. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Mark Mark Zuckerberg fucking sucks, dude. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, sucks. and I I think I think some people think that Aaron Sorkin can get a little overrated because I mean you watch like seven seasons of The West Wing and it, gets, it starts to like wash over you a little bit where it's just like oh my god this is these characters are so smart and quippy all the time, but I'm so glad he won the Oscar for this one because I think this one hits the the sweet spot uh, so well yeah. uh, between almost like robotic levels of intelligence in the way they're speaking and also like deep almost kind of uncontrolled emotion well it fits the it fits the characters it fits the narrative of Mm -hmm. you know these hyper intelligent ivy league entrepreneurs um, Mm -hmm. tech geniuses kind of thing of course you would expect them to kind of be quippy and be you know you know so well spoken and being able to you know just cut you to shreds Mm -hmm. in, in in one sentence um but yeah like you said so the the Oscars that they did win is definitely indicative of what makes this movie extremely successful. It is the editing done by David Fincher. Um, the screenplay David Fincher did the editing. I believe so. Oh. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean like he's, he's got all the, oh, I mean, he probably wasn't in the room making all the cuts and stuff like that, but he pitched. He was, the vision he was making choices, making choices. The screenplay from Aaron Sorkin with the the quippy dialogue, that's the stuff that stands out. But then to Mm -hmm. me, like the biggest surprise, the takeaway is the score Mm -hmm. from Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. That's what that's what elevates this movie from good to great, in my my opinion. 
Yes. So the way that it like bookends the film with like these slow kind of mournful pieces, but in the middle, like I just, I want to code listening to this score, man. Like I, I want to disrupt. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely disrupt, man. Like that's, uh, so you know, we just came off of musical March and mm-hmm. you mentioned how you listened to the soundtrack to uh, little shop of horrors over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, leading up to this episode, I listened to the score of the social network over and over and over again. Yeah. Just to let it wash over me. Did you and come it, up with a billion dollar idea? Not yet, <laughs> <laughs> but it's stewing in there in the back of my psyche. Um, one other thing I wanted to touch on real quick before I hit you with some numbers yeah. Um, so, you know, we talked about David Fincher's unique style that he brings, you know, it's that desaturation of colors, the smooth and human influence camera movements. One thing that I love and that I think a lot of people would agree with is that if you looked at all of his movies as well as TV that he did, and we'll talk about this later, talk about house of the house of cards of it all. Oh, um, you know, he did the first season, I think, or first couple episodes of the first season. Yeah. 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 All of these feel like they fit in the same universe. Mm -hmm. You could go to Detroit and walk outside and run into Detective Mills and Morgan Freeman from Seven, go to Palo Alto several years later and run into Mark Zuckerberg Mm -hmm. or, you know, um, down in Hollywood or whatever for Gone Girl or jump over across the pond to Sweden and run into the the folks from uh, Dragon Tattoo. Like it's the DFCU. Absolutely. DFCU. It, it's amazing because it all it all feels very intentional and deliberate. And it's not like he's he's definitely not Michael Bay. And I'm not shitting on Michael Bay, but I kind of am. But like he's not a Michael Bay where it's it's very predictable mm-hmm. um, explosions and, you know, funny one liners and a bunch of jumping through the air while shooting two pistols at once. Yeah, his movies. Uh, from from my experience and now i kind of just want to watch more fincher um is like there's no guarantee uh that the good guys are going to win in in any of his movies there's there's always a bite to it there's always an edge and you don't know who's really going to come out on top and sometimes you don't even know who the good guys are uh i.e this movie it's just good storytelling yeah but um yeah so let's let's back up a little bit let's look at some numbers here um so this movie was released october 1st 2010 120 minute runtime, just a quick, you know, uh, two hours. $40 million budget, Joe. Hell yeah. Box office, 224.9. Hell yeah. They did real good. They Make cleaned up. Money. Cleaned up. Um, but yeah, starring Jesse Eisenberg, Andrew motherfucking Garfield, Justin Timberlake, and Army Hammer. And lest we forget some notable appearances from Rashida Jones, Dakota Johnson. And then that one guy from The Handmaid's Tale. That one guy from The Handmaid's Tale. Yes. Yeah. yeah. This All was right. a great. This was a really great cast. Uh, um, everyone yeah. plays off each other really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was fascinated by the Army Hammer Parent Trap situation that was happening. <laughs> I knew it was going to be in this, and I wasn't fully prepared. It looks great, by the yeah. way. Whenever they're in scenes together, like it, it's it's tight. I think they had like a body double. They did. Was actually so integral to those scenes that like he was added to the cast when they when they were nominated for like the Screen Actors Guild Award for Best mm-hmm. Cast, which is kind of like the the SAG Best Picture moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, they nominate Best Cast instead, and so this cast was nominated. Um, and it was interesting how they kind of narrowed down because uh, they didn't have the full 
um, cast, which is kind of like Brenda Song and Below, you know, yeah. where you get like Rooney Mara, you get Rashida Jones and stuff like that. Um, they kind of had like those top four or five that you were talking about, but then they also had the Winklevoss uh, body double, yep. which I thought was fun. Yeah, super cool. Um, yeah, so uh, do you want to just jump into the trailer real quick? Oh my God. This trailer is so good. And. We'll talk about it in the trailer. I want to talk about it poster for this goddamn movie, too, because it is absolutely so good. All right. So they kind of hint at some of the motifs of the poster in this opening video. Yeah. So but yeah, we'll we'll, we'll check it out. Let's look at this. Unexpected error happened. Let's try that again. Huh? Okay. Um, Our listeners are getting a special behind the scenes glimpse at UCU this episode. It is just, you know, the the world is. A vampire. You don't get to 30 listeners without shit in the bed a couple times. Absolutely. You're right. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Ready? It's a good trailer. Joe, I have chills already. I love this so much. I have chills. This is great. I need to do something substantial in order to get the attention of the clubs. Why? Because they're exclusive and fun, and they lead to a better life. People want to go on the internet and check out their friends, so why not build a website that offers that friends, pictures, profiles? I'm talking about taking the entire social experience of college and putting it online. The site got 2,200 hits within two hours. Thousand. 22,000. This idea is potentially worth millions of dollars. Millions? You stole our website. They're saying we stole the Facebook. I know what it says. So did we? A million dollars isn't cool. You know what's cool? A billion dollars. You're going to get left behind. It's moving faster than any of us ever imagined. Get left behind. Let's sue him in federal court. I can't wait to stand over your shoulder and what you write is a check. If you guys were the inventors of Facebook, you'd have invented Facebook. Is there anything that you need to tell me? Your actions could have permanently destroyed everything I've been working on. We have been working on. Did you like being a joke? Do you want to go back to that? Mark! This is our time. You're being accused of intentionally breaching security, violating copyrights, violating individual privacy. Your best friend is suing you for $600 million. As for the charges, I believe I deserve some recognition from this board. I'm sorry? Yes. I don't understand. Which part? Five million friends dot com. Like, that's a hell of a, a URL. God. The, the, the biggest bullet point I have in my notes when talking about this movie is that, like, there's so much to talk about with this movie, but this is probably the one movie we've covered that the most people have talked about, right? Like, sure, yeah. 
every inch of this movie has been written about. You could write books, encyclopedias about what's happening here. But like my my take, uh, and I especially I think it's really evident in this trailer is like. This movie gets made 2008, 2009, comes out 2009, 2010-ish, right? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the when Facebook's like really getting up and going, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't, I, I want to hear about your history with Facebook uh, as an app, but like that's when I first signed up uh, in high school. And I think this movie does such a good job of knowing how big Facebook is and how much people already know about it and already know about these people that it doesn't have to explain it in the movie or in the trailer like that. It, it, it knows when to rely on its audience. Uh, and so it can just kind of hint at things, uh, in, uh, that are in the movie as opposed to like spelling out, like this is what Facebook is and, and this is how it was made. Right. Yeah, uh, and so it kind of leaves room for so much more around the making of Facebook uh, and the, the the litigations that followed. Yeah, right. And so you you hit on a couple really good things there. So this movie comes out 2010. Facebook had been around already at that point by about five years. Mm-hmm. It was still very young in its infancy, mm-hmm. and now this movie is now 13 fucking years old. It is fascinating to think about Facebook. I think. I think if you think about like super high level like phases eras uh you know uh, of Facebook as a website as a as a tidal wave of culture mm-hmm. like you there's probably like four that we can talk about there's like the initial phases where it's still in the colleges there's um the phase 2 when it hits like uh more of a a universal level where everyone's kind of just using Facebook to connect there's phase 3 the dark times the 2015 2016 of it all when you know, it's like, is Facebook bringing back fascism? I don't know. <laughs> um, and now we're in kind of like phase four, five, six, where it's like, what even is Facebook? I don't get on Facebook anymore. Uh, it's, it is. Use it for ads. Yeah, it's really wild, you know. Uh, There's the, probably a lot more going on, like, behind the scenes with Facebook driving other things, like Instagram and, like, ads across the website than, like, on actual Facebook.com. Yeah, looking at the state of Facebook... I mean, you can't even say that now. Like, it's meta, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, brings us into the current state, phase four, five, six, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It is leaps and bounds. It is miles ahead of what this movie, you know, depicts it as, even where where we thought it was and what we thought it was going to be in 2010. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a really unique kind of time capsule. And it is so timely that we're doing this right now, too, with, all the things that are going on in the world with the TikTok of it all, with the, the, the Facebook, the 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 Mark Zuckerberg, like everyone is paying more attention to what's actually taking place behind these big behemoth companies and stuff like that. And you know, I think it is incredibly relevant that we're talking about it right now. Mm-hmm. So, you talked about, um, you know, you were curious about my familiarity with using Facebook in 2010 and even the inception. So mm-hmm. this is, you know, like the connection piece to this movie, why I chose it. You know, first of all, you hadn't seen it, but you know, I remember when the the trailer dropped or even when the, the talks were coming out of like, Hey, they're making a movie about the founding of Facebook. And my initial reaction was gigantic eye roll. Who gives a shit about the founding of Facebook. I didn't even know who how Mark Zuckerberg. How interesting can it be? Right? Know? Like how lame, right? Didn't business even know. Stuff. 
business get out of here like I, it was 2010 i was just out of college like a year prior um so like who cares about some college kids they invented whatever i didn't even know who mark zuckerberg was i didn't know about the drama the the bullshit the litigation all of that i because i wasn't paying attention in 2010 i was 22 23 mm-hmm. you know i didn't i didn't care it didn't um didn't affect me Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't initially excited to see it, but when that trailer comes out, that trailer paints such a unique picture. The choice of using Radiohead's "Creep" with the slowed down piano version with a choir is so—I uh, don't know—like I get a visual reaction. Like I told you, like we paused it and I had chills. Like literally, arm. Like I, I'd seen the trailer twice before this show, and you know, still same reaction each time. Ours, uh, hair standing up on my arm. We could we could probably do the research here, but was this kind of the first uh, in a in a trend of movie trailers of like slowed down kind of choir uh, versions of pop songs and hit songs and stuff? It could very well be. That seems like a very aughts thing to do. It works for me every time. Absolutely, I like, want them to do that for every movie. Every movie, I don't even care what it is. Like you mm-hmm. get you get me flying at half mast each time. Like it's amazing. <laughs> so. Um, I originally wasn't super excited to see it, but the trailer comes out. I'm like, okay, I kind of see what they're doing. It looks really exciting. It looks like Fight Club. It looks like, you know, all these other movies that I was already familiar with from David Fincher um, without even knowing that's who did it. I was like, all right, I'll go see it. Don't even care. And then coming out of it being like, holy shit, is that even true? Like, is like the things that happen and, you know, jumping on the early days of Google and all that kind of stuff and finding out like, oh shit, yeah, that actually happened. Eduardo Saverin was a real person who did get supremely fucked out of a lot of money and recognition and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I remember, so it evoked a lot of those early memories of the, the Facebook days, the, the things that they touch on in the movie, right? The exclusivity, the simplicity and the cool factor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got Facebook in 2005 a year after it had launched or even less than a year. Um, Cause that's the year that I went to college and it was this exciting thing. Like, Hey, you got to get on this new social media or this social app. It wasn't even, we didn't even have those words. Mm-hmm. This website. It's like, it's like MySpace, but better. You have to have a university um, email address to even get access to it. You have to be invited. It was like an exclusive club. So I remember that feeling of once I got accepted into college and I got my email address, I was like, shit, yeah, I get to go sign up for Facebook finally. And, um, it, you know, it was a unique experience back then. It was so simple. And it's all the things that they talk about, you know, the wall, which was essentially your page where people mm-hmm. could tag you. or it, it, I don't even think tagging was a thing back then, but they could write specifically to you and it would be on the wall. God, you, you know, relationship status was such a thing. The scene where like he comes up with the idea for like relationship status based off of uh, the a conversation in Jurassic Park telling him something um, <laughs> like it was. Is so... that who that is? Yeah. Yeah. That's the little kid from Jurassic Park. Oh, Joe. There's so many people in this movie. Yeah. Holy shit. I didn't ever know that. That's amazing. That's that's such an example, though, of like uh Fincher showing this like small kind of thing where 
Um, Mark realizes the potential of this, but maybe not even how far it'll go because relationship status, like, becomes one of the huge things about Facebook. It becomes, like, a, a meme in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, single, um, it's complicated. Uh, Ooh, that phrase yeah. basically comes out of uh, Facebook. Yeah, and, like, it's... It was so. It was so fun. It was such a nostalgic ride watching this movie again. You know, uh, you know, for the the upteenth time or whatever. But like, mm -hmm. all those things still come up of like, the early days of Facebook stalking someone. Like that was the whole college experience. Is just finding out like who's with who, and oh shit, they just changed their Facebook status to your relationship status to it's complicated. Ooh, how juicy! Like mm -hmm. I can't wait to see what's going on in the quad. You know, like. It's it was all the experience of college bubbled into one kind of website, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it very much felt like like ours, you know? Yeah. I always thought it was interesting that this movie is called The Social Network, even though it's like it's the Facebook movie. When that uh when it first came out that that was the title, that was kind of the thing that always hit me is like what why is it called social network? What does that even mean? Um, it should be something that's more specific to Facebook. But when now upon like seeing it, uh, it makes so much more sense because Mark Zuckerberg, the character, is is essentially trying to create um, a version of his his current college um, social environment, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that. Uh, uh, his peers can start uh, using a website instead of using actual reality to interact with each other. Yep. Um, but then I also love the little moments where uh, he starts to realize that this needs to be bigger than college. Um, and he essentially starts to uh, think through the, 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 the ground level of like what social media as a thing is going to turn into. Whereas mm -hmm. like now in 2023, it's such like a regular part of our lives. It's how we communicate. It's how we live. Um, and like this movie is such a great time capsule and also such a great um, showcase for him trying to literally figure out um, the potential uh, yeah. of all of this. Yeah. They keep coming back. You know, he's having conversations with Sean Parker of like, we don't even know what it is yet. Mm -hmm. Like, it's still cool. We don't even know what it is, what it can be. It's this billion dollar idea, but they weren't even sure how they were going to get there. They just knew it was this unspoken thing. Like, we're doing something so cool. It's a once in a lifetime, once in a generational, holy shit moment. Yeah. Or holy shit idea. Like, and that's, that's what it was. It became yeah. so synonymous with just modern day culture. And so you talked about phase two of the Facebook where it opened up to the yeah. world. And I remember the feeling of betrayal, <laughs> in a sense, the backlash. That exclusivity is gone. It's gone. It, that's, and that's to me when I think like it definitely shifted um, the, the reality, the expectation of what Facebook could be, all that kind of stuff. I don't think it started the downfall. And I think you mentioned, you know, the phase three where 2015 2016 where just anybody could post whatever they found and it was somehow the gospel truth and that's mm -hmm. when i think facebook kind of took a turn for the worst yeah i think i think other websites kind of popped up as well especially like twitter you had instagram before it was owned by facebook that became more of like the cooler alternatives and so like the the age groups on facebook kind of went up a little bit yeah, and I think a lot of the new social media apps and experiences are kind of chasing that initial high that a lot of people got 
in the early days of Facebook, kind of the simplicity and the exclusivity of it. Um, I don't know what it is because I don't use it, but I know it's a thing. It's uh, it's some kind of pic, and you can help me because you're younger than me. Um, it's the picture sharing app, but like there's a specific time of day to post, right? Oh, that was just, that was Be Real. Be Real is that still a thing? I never used Be Real. I think it's kind of died off. I think that was more of a fad, but that was specifically like you get a notification. Um, and then you have to like take a picture of yourself within a minute or something like that and post it. And so you get to see everyone's picture at that time. Right. And so that's, that's kind of, it's, it's an interesting, uh, situation to think about because it kind of ties into the idea, like nothing on social media these days is like genuine. And so something like a be real is trying to like chase, uh, a, a quasi genuineness, uh, uh, with uh, the way it, 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 it instructs people how to post. Yeah. And I think the, the, the thing that people are trying to chase, that nostalgia, that exclusivity, that simplicity, I think it's a bygone era mm. because, you know, unfortunately, I think Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that kind of stuff, unfortunately, opened Pandora's box and you can't close it. You can't go backwards. Um, there, there's just no way to do it you can't recapture those days anymore. Yeah. Every, everything's too out of the bag. Everyone has too much, uh, you know, once it can't, got on phones and stuff like that, and anybody can do anything anywhere at any time and say whatever they want and link to anything, like, you can't roll it back. Yeah, I think it, it, I mean, they talk about in the movie when it's like 2003 where, like, he, he wants to keep Facebook clean and he doesn't want, like, ads for uh you know bras or pop-ups and stuff on the side or whatever mm -hmm. uh but i think it's it's interesting because like facebook ultimately leads to an entirely different language for how we do ads it's oh i know how we integrate advertisement and monetization throughout content uh yeah. interactions and stuff yeah they had content creation was not a thing in 2005 6 2010 even really yeah you know uh the commoditization of it hadn't even been thought of and uh, it's fun that we kind of got to live through that uh, together. So uh, before we go any further, I noticed you took a sip, and I want to take a sip too. And let's let's do a cheers and come back around and talk about what what we're drinking here, Joe. What do oh you got? God, I haven't even seen your drink. Yours looks amazing. Okay, um, I have made uh, a little green drink. I'm kind of continuing the trend from recent episodes uh, that I am calling. Brenda Song's Apple Teeny from David Fincher's The Social Network. <laughs> that is the official name of this drink because it is an Apple Teeny. It's the first one I've ever had. Isn't it um, good? It's it it it, slaps. it tastes like slightly alcoholic apple juice. Yeah. Um. So it's okay. I think I think maybe I would prefer this over ice and with a little bit of fizz, almost like just mm. give me the fruity cocktail. Um, but this is this is more of like a classy martini style, and I'm so glad I had the gap the the glass for it. But it's basically just um, a little bit of apple juice, a little bit of lemon juice, and then um, green apple apple schnapps schnapps Schna schnapps yeah. <laughs> schnapps, uh, and then vodka, which I can barely taste in a dangerous way. Uh oh. Yeah, I was super big into apple teenies in college because mm -hmm. of Zach Braff and Scrubs. Oh, is that a thing? I never his, watched Scrubs. Uh, his character, JD, uh, loved Apple Teenies, and I loved Apple Teenies because of him. So I know, a, I know my way around a good Apple Teeny. Um, so, Joe, what I'm drinking here, this is this little blue guy. Mm -hmm. This is something I'm calling a blue mother zucker. 
Oh, that's so great. It is essentially just a, a, a blue motherfucker. Uh, I'm drinking it slowly because I'm trying to not be drunk as shit for dinner afterwards. Is it, is it about to completely put you on your ass? What is in there? So it is an ounce of rum, tequila, <laughs> vodka, and gin, blue curacao, Sprite, and sweet and sour mix. Holy fuck. So you have like eight different alcohols in there right now. It's essentially a Long Island, but with a splash of blue and subbing out Coke for Sprite. Yeah, I feel classier with my apple teeny. Sorry. You should, but Blue Mother Zucker. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't pass up the opportunity. Um, it plugs in very well to the end game. So, um, oh, God. So a couple things I wanted to talk about is just the overall themes that present themselves in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, you know, like friend, exploring the ideals of friendship and then betrayal, mm-hmm. right? That only a friend can wield right mm-hmm. um, it's such an interesting journey to see that mark genuinely maybe genuinely cared for eduardo mm-hmm. he you know um in certain scenes some scenes you know he's very disarming and kind of showing a little bit of truth to you know the things he's saying you know like i need you out here some or, or some of the things he says you know i can't do this without my cfo he's being genuine i think mm-hmm. but then like only a good friend can do is just like really turn the knife to your friend that only, you know, you know how to do. Yeah. I think, I think this movie obviously like lives and dies by the Jesse Eisenberg performance, who I think is fantastic as Mark Zuckerberg. And I think there's, you can, you can kind of split every scene in this movie with Mark in it up into like scenes where Mark, uh, is is totally on top and knows what he's doing and is kind of the smartest person in the room and is fully in control of his element and all that. Number two, scenes where Mark thinks he knows what he's doing and thinks he's in control. And then number three, scenes where um, Mark's kind of just a fucking kid and he, he doesn't know enough and like the 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 naivety, the emotion kind of peeks through because he wants to be this kind of robotic Rashida Jones sums it up nicely at the end. He wants to be an asshole a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes like he can't help, uh, but let his emotions get the better of him in certain parts of the movie. And I love those parts of it. I especially love like the, the, the bookends of Rooney Mara's character and also like the middle scene with her. Mm -hmm. That's really the only times where she, she appears. And so, you obviously have the killer opening scene where she breaks up with him and she has that fantastic Sorkin line where it's like, you're going to go through life thinking uh, that women don't like you because you're a nerd. And I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, it won't be that. It, it'll be because you're an asshole. Uh, sets the stage for the entire movie so perfect. It does. Where Mark uh, is feeling kind of victimized by society and he feels like kind of this outsider. And so he creates Facebook to kind of feel cool and get a level of control and then it becomes a, a, a game of control and paranoia uh, from that point on. Uh, and so he, he sees Rooney Mara again at kind of like the midpoint of the movie in that bar confrontation scene where like he's, he's become this big shot. And she, again, just reads him to filth. Um, and yeah. then at the very end, it was maybe my favorite scene of the movie. I loved the way this movie ends where it's, it's kind of implied that he's either going to win or settle all these suits against him. And it doesn't ultimately matter in the long term because he's, he's just going to make billions and billions of dollars. Um, Rashida Jones calls it, 
you know, a speeding ticket uh, in the grand scheme of things, which I think is so great. Uh, It's such a great line. And then the the last scene of this movie is him uh, not being able to help himself, getting onto Facebook uh, and friend requesting Rooney Mara's character on Facebook and then hitting refresh, which I think is such a such a great image of like what Facebook actually ended up being like after all this drama that went into it, it ultimately just became something that we kind of just got addicted to because um, we, we want the notification. We want the ping of it. all. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we even, even he fell into that. Like he couldn't, he couldn't even help himself. Even though he created like, what have I created? You know, mm-hmm. it's, you needed that hit of dopamine and it's such like a unique, like ADD, like, on the mm-hmm. spectrum kind of thing to do of just like obsess obsessively refresh over and over again. Yeah. Even though, you know, probably what the outcome was, she didn't want nothing to do with them. Yeah. Um, I think there's ways to like, uh, I, I, I was like glancing at articles here and there about the movie and prep for this episode. And I think there's ways to read it as like a horror movie or a monster movie in the exact way that you're saying, like, what have they created? Uh, they've kind of come up with this idea and all of a sudden Everybody wants a piece. And so Mark in unleashing this on the world or various people unleashing this on the world, like it becomes kind of a bloodbath in a way without any violence. So what you're saying is the social network is essentially Jurassic Park. (laughs) Right? We never stop to wonder if we should. It's true. It's honestly true, right? To a certain degree, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what it could become. I mean, and how could you? Like, how could you know that it was going to spurn all of this stuff, all this social discourse, all of this political turmoil 20 years down the line? But um, they didn't know. They just knew that, like, we don't even know what this is yet. We can't commoditize it. We can't monetize it yet. It's still cool. And this whole whole movie is about Mark being presented with the tools to create a storm. And then once he creates the storm, who that storm ends up killing. And he himself ends up turning into a tool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another theme that I love, like a duality of of themes is obsession and jealousy Mm -hmm. and how those turn into just ultimate like backfiring. Mark becomes obsessed with Sean Parker's character, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. Justin Timberlake's character. He wants to aspire to that kind of role, which ultimately bites him in the ass because Eduardo is playing safe. He's like, I've read so many things about him that he is trouble. I am very, I'm keeping him at 10 feet away because I know he's nothing but trouble, but Mm -hmm. Mark is just unbelievably obsessed with him. And then there's like tinges of jealousy. uh, And it just all just backfires in the end. We see that, you know, Mark loses his only friend, his only, at least in this instance, you know, like his one connection to humanity in a sense, no one is worshiping him like a God, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, or everyone else is, but Eduardo doesn't worship him like a God. Right. Yeah. Uh, And then the jealousy plays into it. Um, And another thing you just mentioned, you know, like power and control and how it's all an illusion. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And all of those ultimately come at a cost the loss that you face at the end, whether it's monetarily or a friendship or, you know, jail time, whatever it is. I think the, I think the one thing I did connect to while watching this movie, I I, I thought about a lot was like the, the good seasons of game of Thrones basically, (laughs) where, you know, where it's like, um, first and foremost, like 
you you can't be a perfectly good guy uh, in this world. And so specifically with Andrew Garfield's character, Eduardo, who kind of comes in and he's like arguably the good guy in this movie. He's, he's kind of the one who has uh, the emotional center, the emotional story. Um, but then ultimately like he doesn't have what it takes to not get completely screwed out of this company at the end. Yeah. And uh, I also loved the idea of like, Mark clearly being the raw talent, and so people are drawn to that to see how they can manipulate it. Um, and so you get, um, you know, the one of the greatest uh, face-offs in the history of cinema, Andrew Garfield versus Justin Timberlake. It's what we were all waiting for. Yeah. Um, and so, and so, literally, like you get people sinking their their claws into Mark and pulling him in different directions, uh, and it becomes who wins out in the end. Um, uh, and it's Mark Zuckerberg because he's worth 46 billion, whatever the fuck. Yeah, and that's why I love that last scene with uh, Rashida Jones kind of sitting with him after all this trial stuff has, has basically winded down. And she's like, none of this matters. Like it's, it doesn't, Oh, this is all just drama at the beginning of Facebook. It's only going to get bigger from here. You could get sued by a million people and it wouldn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're worth too much. This machine is now sentient and, it is consuming everything, and it's going to ruin the world at yeah, some point. Yeah, the, the, the last few cards at the end, like, it, it throws up, like, uh, they're not title cards. It's, like, the, the epilogue cards or whatever, saying how, like, the, the Winklevoss twins, the Winklevi, um, won $60 million off of Mark Zuckerberg, which is a huge amount of money, and you're like, wow, they, they got fucking creamed. Like, that's horrible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they got nothing. So throughout the whole movie... Uh, Ryan is, she's like, I am a hundred percent team Eduardo. Uh You know, every single time, like, especially towards the back half of the movie, like you can see that he's getting more and more undercut and more and more fucked out of things. Mm -hmm. And it's just every other couple, 10 minutes or something. It's just, Oh, poor Eduardo, poor Eduardo. Um, and then, you know, absolutely despising the Winklevoss twins of just like, these guys need to just like fuck right off because they're just Mm -hmm. a bunch of meatheads. They are essentially just like whining and crying that like they took our idea. Meh. Yeah. Them you know? them being played by Army Hammer is perfect casting for like douchebag face, but obviously like doesn't help the movie these days, probably. Absolutely it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> perfect douchebag face. You're absolutely right. Um so I wanted to talk through some of like my favorite scenes and I wanted you to bring them up bring up some of yours too. Mm-hmm. But um I love the like we're like five ten minutes into the movie it's the dorm room scene of them putting together face smash mm-hmm. the score kicking off oh my god really takes it up a notch it, it's just that it like it adds a sense of urgency the problem solving the hacking and the the iconic shot of andrew garfield writing the algorithm on the window is just it's, it's so like good. it's like csi for online sexual harassment yeah absolutely yeah it's so good. I love that scene. Mm. The um, the meeting with Sean Parker, where they're drinking all the apple teenies, right? The namesake of your drink. You can feel the wedge just being driven further and further between Eduardo and Mark. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking, but it's so good. 
that that really is the moment where like you can it it felt the most Game of Thronesy to me. It felt like politics around the dinner table of like people trying to control other people. Some people realize what's happening, some people don't. And Brenda Song orders a fucking Appletini, which is so perfect. It uh, to is. kind of just just show like the relative like naivety of these like little kids trying to like exist in this adult world. Yeah. They're like, 20 years old. They're Apple 20 years around the table. Yeah. Right. Um, it, so, so are we comparing, uh, Eduardo Saverin to Ned Stark? I, yeah. Yeah. I think I was doing that. And is Mark Zuckerberg, Cersei Lannister? No, no. I think, Oh God. See, I would say that he's like Daenerys just because like he has the raw mythical like force behind him. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't really work in the Game of Thrones metaphor because she's obviously like on the other side of the world. Um, but then like so he can he can kind of be that like mythical power that people are trying to control. He he can I guess be the crown. Like he can he can be the Iron Throne, whatever. Whoever's sitting it. And then um yeah, like Justin Timberlake comes in and he's the Lannister side of things. Okay, uh, pulling yeah. in a different direction. He's Jamie Lannister in like season one, where he's still kind of a slime ball. You, mm-hmm. It's not season three or season four, Jamie, where he starts making a turn. And you start rooting for him after yeah. he loses his hand. You know. Um, yeah. Ultimately, this movie is this movie is about like an idea that becomes a product that grows so quickly that the people involved don't necessarily know how big it is when it is that big and so that disconnect people fall off because of it like andrew garfield doesn't realize what's completely happening and how fast things are going he doesn't go in with the full rules in mind and so he kind of loses it a little bit he he loses track of the the script a little bit and justin timberlake comes in and takes advantage of that and it's so heartbreaking every single time i watch it just Mm -hmm. that ending scene and i'm skipping around but the confrontation at the end with Andrew goddamn Garfield carrying that entire scene, dare I say the entire movie, mm-hmm. on his magnificent shoulders, you feel the tension building because mm-hmm. they cut back and forth to the deposition and all that kind of stuff. You know, he was walking into an ambush. Yeah. Right? It's, this movie is structured like a zipper. Like you have um, the Ooh. future and the past scenes uh, together. And then at the very end, they meet in the middle a little bit and you start yeah. to realize everything that has influenced everything else. It plays out and it plays out. And again, we're just going to keep drawing comparisons to it until the cows come <laughs> home. It feels like the red wedding episode. Oh my God. You know, it's something is off as soon as he gets to the headquarters and then the, the ultimate confrontation walking up, like he is fucking strutting. It's, right? it's it's the scene where the line is drawn in the sand and there's no going back after you cross it. Like I, I've seen, you know, like I said, I've seen this a bunch of times, but every single time that scene comes up, my heart is pounding mm-hmm. at that scene because it's just so emotionally driven and heartbreaking. And it's all the things that you as an audience member would say to Mark, all mm-hmm. the things that you've experienced, all the things that you know, like, you know, like how could you do this? You pretentious douchebag. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's all the things that anybody, any general person off the street would say to somebody like that, fucking them out of so much money. And it's so good because, like, it ultimately becomes a confrontation between him and Sean, Justin Timberlake's character, which he, which he kind of wins in a way. Like, he he comes out as the bigger man in that, 
but it all just pales in comparison to the fact that Mark's sitting there in the background, still CEO of Facebook. He just got his business cards that say, mm-hmm. I'm CEO, bitch. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't he's matter. He's going to make billions and billions of dollars, and this is just can't be stopped, no matter what they do. It's true. You can't. I looked it up after the fact. Eduardo Severin is worth $12 billion, Joe, because of his 6% oh. or 3% whatever in meta. Everyone. Everyone is doing just fine right now. They're the, doing all right. The 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 kid from Jurassic Park is worth billions right now. Yeah, uh, like <laughs> no one no one went to jail in this uh, no. situation. No. Um, one last favorite scene of mine is the boat race mm. because it's so out of left field. Oh yeah, but it fits. Yeah, the, the score essentially becomes like Flight of the Valkyrie, right? It's the in the Hall of the Mountain King. <laughs> like that they that they redid just blaring in the background it's such a unique cut to it um the opening shot of like the tilt shift right it looks like miniatures Ugh. like the boats and stuff and it's and this is where i think david fincher really shines leaning on his music video background mm-hmm. because that's what it feels like it feels like a music video with all the quick cuts and like the shots like of the paddles on the water just coming off and it's amazing love that scene the music holds your hand throughout this whole entire movie, except sometimes you're walking and sometimes you're sprinting and dying. Yeah. This this movie, the score in particular, draws a lot of comparisons for me to the girl with the dragon tattoo. Mm-hmm. They feel very much like brother, sister, sibling kind of scores. They don't sound the same. They're very different. But um, it again, it is still Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross doing their motherfucking thing. Mm-hmm. Um you know, almost entirely all instrumental, very moody, organic kind of sounds, but like with tinges and bits of like that technology, techno kind of stuff, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, like an 808 bass beat or, you know, some of the weird kind of feedbacky stuff that Trent Reznor just masterfully does. It's like it's like modern technology going up against just the primal emotions and relationships that we can't escape uh, no matter how hard we try to dig ourselves into social media. Yeah. Like a lot of the things that, that I love about this movie is that ominous kind of undertones, you know, that kind of just permeate the, the movie a case in point, you brought this up earlier with that first track, the hand covers bruise Mm -hmm. really threw me for a loop the first time I was watching this movie. So I knew that Trent Reznor was involved in some way and I was like, fuck yeah, this score, soundtrack, whatever, is going to be incredible because I I love Nine Inch Nails. But I didn't know what it was going to be in this movie about Facebook, like whoever, who gives a fuck? But after the opening bar scene, Mark is running through the campus to go to his his room, and it's just that soft, gentle, meandering piano. And then as soon as, like, that deep synth hits, just blah. Yeah, it sounds like something out of Jason Bourne or something. Yeah, and just like, like, oh, my God. It's happening. Like, oh, my God, this is... This is amazing. Okay, this puts a whole different spin mm-hmm. to what is about to come for the you, rest of the movie. You kind of feel like there there could be a dead body behind any next scene. Any mo- uh, every any scene. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love so it. So good. I want to watch it again. You should because it's that good. Um all right, so a couple other trivia and easter eggs I wanted to throw at you. So Rudy Mara, we talked about this. Um she's only in a handful of scenes. Mhm. But that opening scene, she had to endure 99 takes. I would believe it. 99 takes. And that's just the kind of person that David Fincher is trying to 
you know, get the best out of someone, get them to live in that moment, that kind of thing. It's very Stanley Kubrick doing yeah. The Shining with uh, Shelley Duvall, that kind of thing. And Breaking this person down. Yeah. So much of that scene is told through like the little glances that they have at each other and the little pauses um, that like a million different things are happening. So I, I usually don't, am not supportive of directors going insane like that, but I would believe it for that scene. Yeah, because it's, there's so many, and it's, and it's everything all wrapped in one about the movie. It's the quick, quippy dialogue. Mm-hmm. You know, you get to kind of see who Mark Zuckerberg really is. He's this kind of pretentious know-it-all yeah, that kind of thing. It, the, the scene is like three minutes long. They are arguably a regular boyfriend and girlfriend at the beginning of it, and they are irrevocably broken up at the end of it. Yeah, it's kind of insane. It's wild. Um, another thing. So Army Hammer and his later digitally defaced twin Josh Pence is the guy <laughs> that we talked about. They were sent to twin boot camp. I love that for ten months to learn everything about what it is to be a Winklevoss twin. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Do you think the Winklevosses were there with like whistles around their necks? Yeah, like, like actually, I don't even walk like that. No, my brother does row and stuff. Probably, right? Telling them about their childhood <laughs> and and Daddy Winklevoss. <laughs> um, Joe, do you have any other standout scenes or, or or bits you want to talk about before we get to the end games? I do, and then I have a note for you. Um, I, I I just want to say the one uh, thing that made me laugh the hardest in this movie is Dakota Johnson's scene where Justin Timberlake is introduced and he uh, she's kind of coming out of the shower. They just had like a one night stand or whatever. <laughs> he tells her <laughs> that uh, first and foremost, like he's an entrepreneur. And then she says, oh, so you don't have a job. And he's like, no, I'm an entrepreneur. And then she says, what was your latest preneur? <laughs> And I had to pause the movie. I was laughing so hard at it's that a good line. line. It's a good line. The way that she says it is amazing. Uh, <laughs> in that particular scene, I love, she's in the shower and she's like, hey, Amy, come out here. And she's like, in a minute. And he goes, Amy, there's a snake in here. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, so good. Justin, before we get into the next phase of things, do you want me to give the plot description for the social network? Oh, fuck. We, we, skipped, <laughs> we skipped over that. <laughs> Didn't we? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Was this, was this your note? Yeah, that was my note. I was going <laughs> to see how long I could go with it. That's totally fair. Cool. All right, Joe, we're at the end, but let's do the, let's do the plot sc- description. Let's, let's make this the new thing. This is kind of like a Fincher-esque structured episode. You know, I we can do it. things out of order and it all has meaning, whatever. Yeah, l- feel free to close read this episode if you want to, listeners. Yeah. Um, all right, Joe, we got a minute on the clock. Is that good? Is that good yeah, for you? Right. Is that going to work for you? Okay, one minute uh, starting now. Go. Okay, Social Network is about Mark Zuckerberg, the guy who founded Facebook in a college dorm room. Uh, ultimately, it starts out with him uh, founding Facebook intercut with him being sued by a bunch of people who think that they also founded Facebook about five years later. Uh, and so this movie is ultimately about, um, the story of how he got the idea for Facebook, how he kind of harnessed the power of social media to create something that became somewhat of a giant Indiana Jones boulder that kind of paved over society. And then everyone eventually wanted a piece once they realized the power of it. Um, and uh, it becomes a story of people trying to tear Mark apart, but ultimately nothing really matters because he's just going to keep uh, bulldozing everything and making more and more money. 
all of this just becomes smaller and smaller in the long run. But then it ends on a note of, uh, is this just about human connection uh, at the end of the day? Um, and what did he actually create, if not a way for him to connect with a girl? Joe, amazing. Is that the best plot description I've ever given? It absolutely is. This is going in the Hall of Fame. That, that like chunk of time, that's just going to be a highlight in and of itself. We're going to send yeah. that out to everybody. We're going to send this to Mark Zuckerberg himself. <gasps> and he's going to love it. Do you think he listens? I hope so. And if not, he is going to definitely listen today because of this scathing game that I had. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, are you ready? No. Okay. I, will, I will just say, like, the way that, for, for, for listeners, the way that we have structured the last few episodes, we actually haven't recorded for, like, a month at this point because we did the Moulin Rouge episode uh, earlier than when we released it. And so Justin's had a month to prepare whatever game he's about to release. I I went a little feral and crazy <laughs> writing what I've done, but uh, we'll get into it, and I'll talk about my inspiration and all that kind of stuff. But here we go. Into the end games, Joe. Are you ready? You guys making for dinner? Sweet baby raised barbecue sauce, I hope. Delicious. But hopefully for Canadian Thanksgiving, you get to eat a lot of sweet baby raised barbecue sauce. That is going on the ribs. Sweet baby raised. Sweet baby raised. Sweet baby raised is very good. Sweet baby raised. We have just applied the sweet baby raised. Sweet baby raised. Sweet baby raised. Sweet baby raised on the ribs. Take it from there. She's waiting for her ribs. I mean, she she knows what's coming. And a sweet baby raised. So that's uh, that's. That's pretty good. Yep, uh, that's what I did. <laughs> if this is a trivia game about barbecue sauce, I'm going to shut my laptop. Joe, this is something I'm calling Schmuckerberg, the rise of sweet baby rays. <laughs> okay. Um, so what essentially this is, Joe, this is a choose-your-own-adventure style story. Um, there's no points, there's no wrong answers, but you can choose to go back a step if you wish. <gasps> so um, I made a, let's see, I had to make a, um, a Google Doc for this. Oh my God. With, with hot links and everything. So is there, a way to, is there a way to win? Is there a goal I have in mind? Who am I? You'll see. Uh, so here we go. You are superstar social media billionaire slash super villain in training. Mike Schmuckerberg in the not-too-distant future, Joe. Okay. Since the inception of your wildly popular app, FaceSpace, and the later invention of the metaverse and subsequent adoption, without too much resistant, uh, resistance from the slack-jawed masses, you've enjoyed many successes, but not without stepping on the well-worn backs of several others. Cozily nestled in your Olympic-sized pool filled with billions just like Scrooge McDuck, you've now turned your attention inward you're reflecting on what got you to your current level of achievement and you don't like what you've become a sociopathic manipulative lonely weasel-faced monster then it hits you you go back or you remember that you've just made a sizable investment in the next big thing time travel oh, you God. decide it's time to go back and hopefully rewrite the wrongs of your past 
and hopefully rewrite your future. You step into the prototype machine that you just got from your new partners at Time Travelers R Us, LLC. You take a deep breath and you pull the lever. Here we go, Joe. We're starting. I immediately die. <laughs> <laughs> it's game over. Dead. <laughs> uh, boom. Here you are. Uh, you're back in your dorm room at Schmarvard, and your laptop is open writing the code for the super popular app, FaceSpace. Is this where you went wrong? <gasps> Do you change the name from FaceSpace to BookFace? Or do you leave it the same? Just keep it face space. I remember in 2015, which is in the future, I got sued for a billion dollars by the creators of face spaces. <laughs> um, and that really was a turning point for me. So I'd like to avoid it by changing the name to Bookface. All right. You're going to change the name to Bookface. Uh, turns out, a lot of success can be attributed to the branding and name of an app, Joe. Uh, when you sent out the initial invite to your friends and others at Schmarvard, adoption was less than enthusiastic. You think, all right, that's not a big deal. Maybe it's just slow going. However, since you did hack into the Schmarvard system and named it something dumb like Bookface, the committee decides to punish you accordingly and vote to kick you out of school permanently. Here's another chance. Do you try and appeal your case to stay in school? Or do you decide to cut your losses and go back home, recoup, and figure out your next steps? I'm, I'm, I'm totally in the book business right now. Uh, I'm actually getting away from monetizing people and more into monetizing physical books, which I think will be around forever. I will go home and figure out my next steps. Okay, so you cut your losses. Um, all right, so you pack your bags and hop onto the next bus to your hometown, Boston, Texas. Papa Schmuckerberg greets you with a stern look, and Mama Schmuck can't even look in your direction. Mama, no. <laughs> Papa informs you that you were the only hope for the family's success, and that he hedged a lot of bets on your eventual graduation from Schmarvard and inventing something wildly popular. I hated it there. <laughs> He's now in too deep with the loan sharks. <laughs> How do you help the family before Vinny Sharkinelli breaks the entire family's kneecaps? Is there Joe, an option at the end of this game where I can die? <laughs> so, How do you help the family, Joe? Do you take a job at the local Sweet Baby Ray's bottling factory? Or do you try to fight the Sharkinelli mob boss? I will not stand up to bullying. I would rather be the bully. I will try and fight the sharks. Okay. While the effort was appreciated by your family, the payoff was not worth it. Vinny decides to punish only you for being stupid enough to try and take him on yourself and breaks all of your bones. You are now an even bigger disappointment to the family. <laughs> you are now disowned. Flash forward to the present, and you now work at the carpet outlet store making minimum wage, and everyone still hates you. The end, Joe. <laughs> I Do you want to go back? Um, yes, I would like to go back to the... Do you want to take the job at the Sweet Baby? That's the only step you can go back. Uh, I can't go back to the Harvard decision? Yeah, no. I'll take the job at Sweet Baby Ray's instead of confronting Vinny. Okay, good. 
So what you do is you swallow your pride and put on the barbecue sauce colored apron to make some money. Since you were a business major at Schmarvard, you were able to quickly advance and move up the ranks. Thanks to your business savvy and manipulative nature, you're able to swindle the Sharkinelli family into backing down. Good for you. Cut to a few years later, you're now regional president of Sweet Baby Ray's. And surprise, who should walk into your office but your old roommate, Eddie Savageman. Now here's another opportunity to correct your path. There's do, more? Yeah. Do you apologize for being an egotistical maniac in hopes that Eddie will forgive you? Or do you pretend like you don't even know who he is? I will apologize, but I won't do it well because I don't fully understand human emotion. Right. That's absolutely, you know, indicative of a sociopathic individual. Yeah, I apologize, but I somehow, like, insult his family (laughs) along the way. So in bearing your soul to Eddie and apologize, you suddenly feel a weight being lifted. Your spirit is singing. The lights get brighter somehow. I don't like this. You squint to see if Eddie is still in the room, but he's not there anymore. Now you're sitting in an empty void, and yet still standing on solid ground? How strange. A voice bellows all around you and in your head. Does it say option one or option two? You mean like the words option one or option two? You got to choose option one or option two. Oh, I can't. I can't hear one with that. Okay. Um, Option two. Option two. This is what you hear from the voice that bellows within and outside. What have you done? The continuum. It's crumbling. Why would you mess with time? Why? You think you recognize the voice, but it's too frantic to comprehend or even begin to put a face or a name to the voice. A whirl of clouds and darkness envelops you, spinning you more and more violently this way and that until you feel your feet lose the security to the ground. A haze takes over your vision and you slowly pass out. You awake suddenly in your bed. You reach for something, anything, a blanket. Hmm. Egyptian cotton? High thread count. Could it be? You're back in the present. You made it. The comfortable palace filled with riches and meaninglessness. Meaninglessness, just as you left it. Mm -hmm. As you trudge to the bathroom to splash water on your face, you wonder if it was all a dream. You laugh to yourself. (laughs) It had to be. There's no way. Nothing a few more doses of prescription drugs won't drown away. As you turn on the light and look in the mirror, you're caught off guard. You think there's someone else in the room with you. (gasps) But there's not. As you move closer, you realize it's not another person. It's you. (gasps) You touch your hand to your face, to the mirror. You've become Eddie Savageman. You scream, but you only hear the echoes of your new self as they bounce around your empty palace. You lose? I mean, becoming Andrew Garfield's character in this situation, is that a loss? I think I'll take it. And I will be investing in the barbecue sauce business with my newfound internal knowledge. Amazing. Well done. You did it, Joe. Well done. That is, uh, that's Schmuckerberg, the rise of Sweet Baby Ray's. Hope you had fun. Yeah. um, Listeners, we will be posting the entire tree of decisions that Justin has come up with because I would really hate for that to not see the light of day eventually. 
Um, so expect a, an Instagram carousel post uh, pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would love to like figure out how to make that like an actual choose your own adventure in Instagram. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to need to see all those choices. Yeah, there's there's a, some some branches that you didn't explore, but Joe, that was so much fun. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, that was incredible. I uh, I hope we don't get sued by Mark Zuckerfake bus fuckface, but um. It's all good. Whatever. Hey, whatever. Bring it on. We're the UCU. Don't, do you it's know like who we are? Who we are? Parody law, right? Yeah. 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 We have thirty fervent listeners who will yeah. back us up in court. One of them knows about law. Yep. And two of them are probably in Brussels. Yeah. Shout, Shout out Brussels. Brussels. <laughs> we will always have a home there. Oh, do can we get asylum there? I we will so. get asylum in Brussels. Great. Uh, Joe, any other closing thoughts on the social network? Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm finchered up right now. I am really glad, uh, that I came around on this movie. I can't believe I missed it. I look forward to watching it again. Would you say you have a Finchy? Ooh, that sounds weird and sexual. No, I wouldn't say that, but (laughs) I want to go watch like Gone Girl. Yes. Go watch Gone Girl. Mindhunter. Didn't he do Mindhunter? He did Mindhunter and Mank are his two most recent. I don't um, care about Mink, but I'll go watch Gone Girl. Yeah. Well, Gone Girl fucking rips. I love Gone um, All right. Well, this has been the Uncultured Cinematic Universe. Be on the lookout when we take on Joe's pick for Oscar April. Joe, do you want to tell us? Oh, my God. I totally forgot about this. Okay. Um, we are going to round off Oscar April with um, which a movie that I think wins the – Two most important uh, Oscar categories at any given ceremony, which would be the Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress uh, Oscars. We're going to be talking about Moonstruck, y'all. I'm so excited. I am so excited for Justin to experience what exactly this movie is. I have no idea, and we'll talk about it next time. And I'm just excited that I get to do a share song, maybe. Oh, my God. It's going to get insane. Tune in later, y'all. See ya. Bye.